0: Uh, Coop, and I am very thankful to be with us this morning. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. We've been here for almost four years now, and, that, and, and I just want to say to those of you who have never actually seen our family, uh, this is our home church. It really, really is. Uh, we generally sit in the back somewhere in a corner when we come in. I apologize about that. Pastor Phil confronted me on that the other day, and he said, Sid, we noticed you uh, back in your in your corner. And I, I confess that, so I, I thought today I would sit right at the very front row, and, and I was excited about that. That's a movement, uh, perhaps a reflection of what God's doing in my heart, which is a really good thing. That's a very, very good thing. Uh, my wife is the program director at Green Bay Bible Camp. That's one of the reasons why uh, it becomes a little bit difficult for us to always be here on our Sunday mornings, and I, I tend to travel a little bit, um, and so we're gone uh, many weekends as well. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking this morning, if, uh, if you're here with us this morning, and, and 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 maybe this is your first time in a church, or, or maybe this is your first time in our church, y- you might be kind of sitting here and feeling like, hmm, this is a new experience for me. It's almost as if you've, you've engaged a new culture, and, and I want to say to you, thank you so much for coming. I think I understand a little bit of your experience. This past week, I was in California speaking with with about a hundred or so students. And, uh, and I, had, I had a new uh, experience with our high school students. We, uh, on Wednesday, uh, we were down at Laguna Beach and uh, I decided to play basketball with these young men. And, uh, and within about three to four minutes, one of them uh, juked me, that's the term the young people use these days. And, uh, and I went with it and felt my back tweak and go. And so I immediately fell over and then slowly crawled my way off the court, and as I was crawling my way off the court, uh, one of the young gentlemen looked at me, old man injury, huh? And I was like, ha, that was the first time I heard that. I was like, okay, this is my new stage of life. And so that was on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, I'd, I'd slowly begun to erect myself a little bit, and, uh, and we ended our time on Thursday down at Mission Beach in San Diego, and, uh, we're overlooking the beach on a, on a raised, uh, platform having this massive dance party. So we had the lights, the show, everything going on. And, uh, and so now not only am I carrying an old man injury, uh, but I'm also spending a moment reflecting on uh, my upbringing in a Mennonite home where dancing was not a part of what we did whatsoever. I just want you to know that wasn't really our jam, if you will. And, uh, and one of the young grade 10 girls comes running up to me and she grabs my hand and she's like, come on, Sid, come on, and she drags me into the middle of this dance party and I just kind of awkwardly stood and just moved, you know, I just kind of moved, right? If you, ever, if you ever saw that Will Smith movie Hitched, it's just this, right, we just keep it here and we're safe. So we we kind of kept it there. We were safe. We made it through. And and I remember just kind of slowly sliding my way out of the dance party looking and saying, this is a different culture. This isn't this isn't my my normal experience. And so uh, for some of you or maybe this is kind of a different culture and this isn't your normal experience, I want you to know I understand. Welcome here. You are welcome here. And um, and you know as we as we look in, in the Bible today and, and, and we spend some time studying I'm guessing that you're probably going to have some questions and a few things might not, you know, you might have a hard time completely understanding that is okay. This is a community that really loves to journey together and you are welcome to ask your questions. We just invite those in, and I want to say it's good to have you here. Um, so I've been, I've been given the task of taking a look at Mark chapter nine. We've been going through the book of Mark here uh, in our church. I love that. I love to be a part of a church that's working through the scriptures. I just think that's, that's wonderful. It, it kind of protects us from from landing on passages that uh, we really like, that are kind of our favorites, and it, it, it helps us wrestle with some of the difficult passages that we don't really, really um, love getting into, to be honest with you. And, and really, I think what it is, it's a way of just acknowledging that, you know what, I'm not God, God is. And when God speaks something to us, He actually wants us to get it. And he wants us to wrestle with it. And so we don't avoid uh, what his word says to us. And, I, and I'm really thankful to be a part of that church. And so today, uh, I get to dive into Mark chapter 9 here. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get going. Father, I love you. Thank you for our time together. What a gift. Uh, Lord, thank you that you give us the freedom in our country to be able to gather and, and to speak about faith. Thank you that we get to be a part of communities where we can interact with each other and wrestle with some of the hard truths that your word says to us. I love that so much. Thank you for the leadership of a church that invites questions and, um, and invites the journey. I, I love that so much. And, and thank you for, um, uh, for a leadership of a church that's really committed to knowing your truth and then committed to really wrestling with what does it look like for us to submit to you as we submit to your word. And so I'm honored and I'm thankful. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us in our time together and that whatever we need to hear from you, we clearly would. And unless your spirit does that, whatever is said will mean nothing. So we give you this time in your name. Amen. Um, this is the first summer, actually, um, for me, in about the last 17 years where I'm not traveling and speaking at different camps. That That's a part of the ministry that I work with called Truth Matters Ministries. It has been for the last 17 years um, speaking at anywhere from seven to nine weeks of camp at different camps right, right kind of across uh, Canada a little bit. And, and this year we're... We're going to land here and, and stay home. And uh, and my job is now to support my wife as she works at Green Bay Bible Camp. And I'm really thankful and excited to do that with our two boys. I remember one summer after we had uh, we'd finished kind of our camp tour and we ended in Saskatchewan. And uh, we were going to the farm. My wife's parents have a farm in, in Rosetown, Saskatchewan. And, and we were going to spend a few days there before we, before we headed back home. Our boys were young. Peyton was about uh, six at that time and Cole was probably about three. And so I just said to the i said to Peyton, I said, Hey son, when we get to Grandma and Grandpa's place, we'll build ourselves um, a little bike park. So the boys had just got into BMX biking, they thought that was great. And so mom and dad had some room on the farm that, that we could do stuff and, and they had tools and, and wood. And so we were, they were very excited. We were going to build ourselves a bike park. So I remember we we got we got there and, and we immediately Peyton grabbed me and we headed out and we got our, all of our stuff, got the tractors, got everything. And, and we started to build. And So we, we began by building a, a kind of a low platform, about four feet high. And it was about eight feet by four feet. And, and off that platform, we built a ramp, got out the tractor, built a bunch of uh, dirt jumps and kickers off of that. And, and, then, and then we realized that wasn't going to produce quite the speed that we wanted. And so we had to build a higher platform, about eight feet high. And then we connected that platform to the middle platform. I'm not sure my wife was completely aware of what we were doing because she knows the level of skill I have when it comes to building things. And so she would have known this was not safe for anybody. But we were, we were going for it. We, we, we thought this would be great. So we, we built the high platform, connected it to the low platform, and, and Peyton would come flying off there on his little BMX bike and hit the jump. That was fantastic. And then we thought, we need to create more. So, so then what we did is we built a, a skinny, what we called a, a skinny uh, bridge. And it was about two by 10, and it went out to a teeter-totter. So when you rode off the end of that, it would flip down. And then that transitioned to another jump that we'd built. And, and so Peyton could, could work his way across that and hit the jump. So the first time you know, Peyton does that, he gets on his little full-face helmet little yellow bike, and he works his way across kind of the, the skinny bridge, and then he hits the teeter-totter, shoots down, and then he, he flies up the transition of the jump, and then boom, right off the end, and, and totally lands it, rides away. I'm like, yeah, way to go, celebration, we're all, we're, I'm cheering, this is a great moment. So then I look at Peyton, I'm going, son, would you like to do that again? And he goes, yeah, I said, okay, let's let's do it again. So he gets up there again, and he works his way across the skinny bridge, down the transition, and then he's coming up the transition of the jump, and I'm not sure what happens, but but at the last minute, he kind of panics, and he slams on his back brake, and his wheel just spins out from under him, and then he goes right over the front end of the jump, over the handlebars, boom, down onto the ground, bit of a garage sale, gear all over the place. And I hear him crying, and so I come running over to him as a, as a concerned father was, and I want to make sure he's okay, so I grab him and give him a little shake, because that, you know, that, if something's broken, we'll know, right? So we, we, we do that, and turns out he's fine, he's good. And so we wipe the tears we get the tears all good, and I look at him, I go, uh, you okay, son? He goes, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, let's do that again. And he was like, pardon? I said, yeah, let's, let's go do that again, we're going to hit the jump again. And when I say we, uh, completely you, so let's get you up there. And so we gear him back up, we get him on the low platform, and he looks and he goes, Dad, I, I don't want to do this again. I said, that's no problem, you don't have to want to do it, we're just going to do it. So we're doing this, and so he kind of starts, and he stops, he's like, Dad, like it's... It's getting really late. It's starting to get dark. I said, I know. So do it before it is dark because that will be much harder. So we're going to, we're keeping working at it. And then he's like, and I'm hungry. And I'm like, me too. Food will be there when we're done. We can do this. And so we're working back for about three or four times. He starts off. Finally, on the fourth time, he kind of makes it across the bridge, down the transition on the, on the teeter-totter. And he comes shooting up the transition of the jump. He's just like, <laughs> boom, off the end. He totally lands it, rides away. So I come I come running up to him just celebrating. He wasn't nearly as excited as I was. And, and I remember I kneeled down in front of him. And you, and you know how you could do the lessons when your kids are like six years old? Now, now Peyton's 15. This doesn't work so well, okay? So I don't, I don't get this opportunity very much. But I thought I'd use it in the moments I had. And I remember kneeling down in front of Peyton and taking his helmet off him. And I just looked at him. I said, son. He goes, yes, dad. I said, son, do you know why dad made you do something you didn't want to do? He goes, because you're psychotic. <laughs> no, <laughs> he, he didn't actually say that. He doesn't know that word. He didn't know that word. But if he did, I'm sure he would have said it. He goes, he just looks at me and goes, no, dad, I don't know. And I just said, well, buddy, I said, here's the deal, son. I said, if you choose to follow Jesus, one day he's going to ask you to do really hard things and you're going to be afraid. And son, I don't want you to let fear control you. I want you to actually do the hard things that God's calling you to. And so these are the kind of lessons we're trying to learn right now. Now, I, I know, that, that can, you know that that's probably not the best way to do the teaching and the training. There's some elements of manipulation that's going on there that's probably not quite right. But you know what? We were learning as we go. Still are. So we're doing our best. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, we don't naturally like to pursue difficult things, do we? It's not really the, the way that we generally like to go. I know in my life, I'm, I'm kind of hardwired to, to pursue the pleasure, not pursue the pain. Now, sometimes if the pleasure is really clear on the other side of the pain, I might go there. But generally speaking, it really is about the pleasure. And, and I think that sometimes we as followers of Christ have this uh, tendency to think that God's you know, kind of primary purpose in our lives is to bring us the pleasure. Isn't that true? Like, we, 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 kind of, we kind of think that his job is, is to make us happy, feel good, um, make life kind of work the way that we define what work looks like. Uh, I know in my life, I see that true when things go difficult, things get hard, I lose something. The first questions that tend to roll through my head is kind of like, God, how could you let this happen to me? Or, or questions like, God, where are you right now? And and there is there's something very good and right about the honest question of trying to understand God's plan in the midst of difficult circumstances. But the truth is, for me, it's in these moments that sometimes those questions express the reality that I think it's God's job to make my life safe, secure, and easy. Like, I do. I just think, I think that's, that's true. You know, in the research that we do across Canada right now about faith in the lives of the next generation... Um, Christian Smith, who did the most significant research on the, on the state of spirituality amongst adolescents in the U.S., after the research was finished, he said this, that the way that many of our evangelical kids are defining faith, we would call moralistic therapeutic deism. And what that means is our kids believe that, yeah, they should be good, that's right. Uh, yeah, there is a God, he's real, he's out there, but his job is to make me feel good and be happy. And if things get hard, he comes in, he fixes the problem, boom, then he goes away. It was really interesting when the researchers began to speak with adults and parents and the parents became deeply concerned about this new definition of faith in the lives of the next generation. They said to the researchers, they said, hey, what do we need to do to pass our faith on to the next generation? And you know what the researchers said? They said, oh, you're doing just fine when it comes to passing your faith on to the next generation. You're doing just fine. The problem is the faith that you're passing on to the next generation. Well, that's the question, right? Right? You see, we, we think that God's primary job is, is to make us feel good, be happy. We often feel that way, but but here's the reality. When you look in Scripture, when Christ called his disciples to follow him, the phrase that he used more than anyone any other phrase was this idea of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. More than any other phrase, over and over again, he used this idea of that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and and follow Christ. You know, in in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 is kind of right in the middle of the book of Mark. And the book of Mark is kind of separated into two categories. The first eight chapters are all about Jesus trying to help the people understand who he is, in particular as the king. So there's there's, there's something majestic about the way that he goes about it, the way that Mark goes about trying to help us understand who Christ is. And then in Mark chapter 8, there's a shift. And it moves from helping the people understand his identity to helping the people understand his mission. And, and, and the mission being specifically about his mission to go to the cross. That his, his mission of the king was actually one of suffering, one of pain, and one of, of great sacrifice. In fact, in mark chapter 8 at the very end for the first time jesus begins to explain to his disciples that that as the king he is going to suffer that that's actually what his calling is and and peter rebukes him right he comes to him and he says no christ you you don't you don't suffer you don't go to the cross and jesus turns to him and he says get behind me satan he's he's very strong in his response to peter because this was what he was called to do. This, is who he, this was the, the mission of the king. The mission of the king was to, was to suffer and die for, for the people so that we could have relationship with the Father. And, and, and this was what he was completely about. And then not only does he say to Peter, this is what I must do, but then he turns to Peter and he says, oh, by the way, if you're going to follow me, this is what you must do as well. This is my calling for you. And he says in verse thirty four to thirty five of chapter eight, he says, And the calling the crowd and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Oh, my friends, this is this is the way of the kingdom, actually, on this side of eternity. That if we are going to choose to follow Jesus, then then this is the mission that, as his followers, he is is calling us to. Christ's movement to the cross wasn't just his way of saving us. It was the example of how he would use us to be a part of saving the world. It's the, it's, it's the way that he calls us to bring forward his kingdom, that we would be people who are, who are radically committed to sacrificing much for the sake of Christ our King and for the sake of others. That we would be willing to, to set it aside, that we would be willing to suffer, that we would choose to be like the one we follow, and, and, and we would say, okay, whatever it takes, I'm in. And this isn't, this isn't easy for any of us. We don't naturally move. It's not like, oh man, Jesus said, I got to go to the cross. Best day ever. Let's roll. Let's do it, you know? And even Paul acknowledges. I mean, Paul said, hey, listen, if it's just for this life that we follow Jesus, if there's not something more coming, he says, we are fools. Now, now for some of us, that doesn't really resonate, does it? <laughs> Because unlike Paul, for some of us, people will come to us and they'll say things like, hey, what if you're wrong? What if your faith is wrong? And we'll go, maybe, but you know, I've lived a pretty good life anyways. So even if it's wrong, it's pretty okay. It's pretty easy for those of us to say when we live in Kelowna, isn't it? It's not quite as easy for the church in Syria right now, you know? And, and I think that was Paul's understanding, and he said, "Hey, listen. Following Christ really there's seasons. It costs a lot. So if this is the only reason that you're following, you know, if this is it, if there's not a, more coming, then, I, then, then you're foolish. You're foolish. So Christ knew that that the, that, that there in, in order to get to the glory, we had to go through the suffering. And this this is his call on us. That doesn't mean that we we pursue suffering. We're not those kind. We're not we're not that. It doesn't mean that we're holier if we suffer." There's not something, you know, there's not something intrinsically holy about being people who suffer more, but, but I think what it means is we're deeply thankful for the, for, the, for the seasons of life where we experience the peace and the joy and the happiness and the health and the financial security. We're very, very thankful for those seasons, and we, we look to steward it very, very well for the sake of the kingdom, but we hold it with an open hand, and we acknowledge that, that Christ calls us to the valley's. And we're okay in the valleys. And we submit and we surrender in the valleys because we're not the king. He's the king. And we just acknowledge that it's this call to the cross where where we can allow other people to see and experience the beauty of Jesus Christ in us. So then the question is, how do we embrace this call to the cross? Well, real quick, at the beginning of chapter 9, we see a couple of situations that I think are helpful for us to understand how can we be people who actually embrace this call to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And and here's the first. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to humble ourselves before the glory of Christ. And we need to create space and time to understand the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who Christ is. And not simply understand it here, but begin to actually experience it in what we as followers of Christ would call worship, where we see Jesus as so beautiful and majestic and better than anything else, that even in the midst of tears and even in the midst of pain, we go, you are great, God, you are great, and I love you, and I'm in whatever you want, I'm in. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, so right after he's just told his disciples they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, in verse two, it says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. There's this change that happens to Jesus with Peter and John up on this mountain. Uh, the word transfigured, by the way, is, it comes from the Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis from. It's this, it's this complete change something something new and yet still same is taking place so the disciples know it's Jesus but but it says that there's this glory this shining and in fact it says in verse 3 and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them so there's this power and this glory that kind of comes over Jesus in this moment and then in verse 4 it says and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus if you look at the account in Luke and Luke it tells us that they were actually talking with Jesus about his journey to the cross. They were they were encouraging Jesus that this is the journey We're with you. We understand it. And and not only that, but I would assume in some ways they're speaking about the fulfillment of of what Elijah and Moses were speaking about in the Old Testament when they talk about the coming Messiah, that this was the way of the Messiah, which by the way was so foreign to the ears of an Israelite in those day and age because they had assumed that their Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom during this time. That's the way he was going to save people. And yet Jesus said, no, no, it's not by my power to set up an earthly kingdom I've come to save. It's by my power to sacrifice radically For others that I have come to save Something very different But there's this glory that is coming in this moment And and it's interesting how Peter responds In verse 5 Peter said to Jesus Rabbi it is good that we are here Let us make three tents One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah For he did not know what to say For they were terrified So so Peter and, and James and John have this moment. This glory comes. They're absolutely terrified by what they're seeing. They know they're in the presence of something great. They, they know they're in the presence of God. And probably part of it, because they're good, good Jewish boys, they know the stories of the Old Testament. And there was another story in the Old Testament, right? And another mountain. And another time when God's glory was revealed. And it was to Moses right before he was to enter the mission of taking the people into the promised land. And he wanted to see God. He wanted to know that what he was about was real and right and true. And so God had said to him, Moses, you can't see me directly, but I will pass in front of you and you can see my back, but you can't see me directly because if you see me directly, you will die. And so the people knew that if you were to see God directly, because of their sin, because of their brokenness, they couldn't handle being in the presence of a holy God so they would die. So, so what did the Israelite nation do? They set up Tabernacles, they set up rituals, they set up sacrifices to try to mediate the relationship between them and God, to somehow make things okay for them to meet with God. It's it's interesting, when Peter says, you know, to Jesus, let us make some tents, it's such a weird, you go, why would he say that? Here's what I think he's saying, that word tents is is the same, it's, it's a Greek word for the word tabernacle. It's reflecting back on the Old Testament tabernacle. And here's what I think is happening. I think Peter realizes he's really in the presence of God. And he's terrified because human beings don't just come into the presence of God. They die when they come into the presence of God if there hasn't been mediation for their sins, right? So he's going, we've got to set up a tabernacle. We got to get the rituals going we got to get the sacrifices and what happens is Jesus comes to him and he says we don't need the tabernacle we don't need the, the rituals we don't need the sacrifices because I have come to be sacrificed and I have come to make a way that human beings can now meet with God because I will pay for the sins of the people and there is this glory of Jesus that they experience in the moment oh my friends We stand in the presence of God because God has come to us. He has come to us. And he has gone to the cross to take our sin upon himself and place his rightness on us so that now we can boldly come into the presence of the king. We don't have to run from the king. We can come to the presence of the king. And I think so often we forget that we are in the presence of the king. And we fail to see the glory of the king. And what's beautiful about Jesus is Jesus didn't just reflect the glory of the king. You know, after Moses had been in the presence of God, it said that he came off the mountain and his face shone and the people were terrified of him because he was now reflecting the glory of the king. Jesus doesn't just reflect the glory of the king. He is the radiance of the glory of the king because he is the king. He is the king. This is what Hebrews chapter 1, 3 says. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. I don't think we are as aware of the king as we need to be. I think we're, we, we think a lot about Jesus as our buddy and our friend, and that's nice. And he is our friend. He is our friend. It says that in the New Testament very clearly. But but it seems to me, at least in Mark, that before he revealed himself as friend, he revealed himself as king. And I think we need to see the glory of the king in order to be able to endure the difficult moments that he carries us through, because the scriptures tell us that as we see his glory, his glory transforms who we are, and we become like him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, he says, now, this, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we see his glory, we, we are changed. We become like him. And this isn't easy to see the glory. It goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Because the evil one knows that if we really see Jesus and his glory and who he is as God and what he has done, he knows that changes us. He knows it transforms us. And so he wants to keep us from seeing that reality. But my friends, we need to rest here. The king has come. He has come to us, and he has provided a way for us to be with him because of his suffering and sacrifice on the cross, and I love him for that. And when I remember that reality, my friends, it changes me. Even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the darkness, I go, the king is with me, and he is seeing us through this, and he is powerful, and I am his. I'm okay. I'm okay. And what's amazing is this, is that that we would have never got to him unless he first came to us, but he did. You know, when we first moved here to, um, to Kelowna, we lived in a house in Mission, and uh, friends of ours, they support our ministry. They'd allowed us to be in their house for a couple years. It's fantastic. Um, they have a son named Brad. Brad is, Brad is a really good young man. Uh, Brad, um, he, he struggles with certain things. He can't speak, very, he can't speak at all, actually, and, and it, because his body was somewhat um, uh, not formed well at birth, he now has steel rods down his back to help him stand up. He's a good, good guy, really enjoy him. One of the things that Brad really loved here in Kelowna is he loved hockey very much, so he enjoyed the Kelowna Rockets a lot. And his dad would often take him to different like, games or award ceremonies, so they'd go to a different award ceremonies. And they were telling me of this one time, they went to an award ceremony here in town, and Jerome McGinley was actually at the award ceremony, right? And uh, he was handing out, I don't know what kind of a bag it was, he was handing it out, and his wife was there with him. And Brad got to meet Jerome McGinley and his wife. Really neat moment. Brad became a, a rabid fan of the Calgary Flames at that point. So I love that boy. In some senses, it's an act of salvation, I think. or representative of it anyways, but maybe not. That's for me. I'm from Alberta, so that's kind of my journey, right? And we've had a difficult playoff hunt. I'm not going to lie. But anyways, we'll get on. Well, I'm working on it. Thanks for allowing me to process a bit. Well, um, I, was, I was talking to them, and about a year after Brad had met uh, Jerome McGinley, he was walking down his street with his dad. And also of a sudden they heard this voice from across the street, this young lady, and she starts calling out, hey, Brad, Brad, and she comes running across the road, and she goes, Brad, she goes, Brad, do you remember me? And Brad looks at her and goes, no. She goes, oh, I'm Jerome McGinley's wife. Um, I met you at an awards ceremony about a year ago. And then she just looks at Brad and she goes, hey, um, Jerome's going to be home later this afternoon at our house that we have here, uh, and he's going to have some friends over. Would you like to come? We'd love to have you into our home. We'd love you to come and meet the friends. It would be great to have you. And so he did. Later that afternoon, he went to his house, knocked on the door, Jerome came open and welcomed him in. I just thought, how amazing is that? You know, like, like you don't just get into that house. Do you know what I mean? Unless you're maybe like a good thief or something. Maybe then you do. But generally speaking, human beings, don't, you don't just get into that house unless he first comes and invites you in, right? Okay, that is nothing compared to the reality that the king has come and he has invited us in. And we don't get in unless he first comes to us, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He came as the king and he has invited us in because of his work on the cross. That's his glory. And when we meditate and reflect on that, it, it changes us. And we go, okay, gain, whatever you want, I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm in. So, so they're on the mountain, they have this, this moment. Now how do we embrace the call to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ? How do we live as Christians? First, we humble ourselves before the glory of Christ. And then second, we humble ourselves and admit our lack of faith when it comes to trusting Christ. So, they, so Mark chapter 9, verse 14, now they, they come off the mountaintop of experience, right back into real life. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could live life just on the mountaintops? Wouldn't that be wonderful? you know, where everything is great, Maybe, you know, just kind of hook up one worship conference from one to the next and just keep hitting the conferences, you know, but, but, but we're actually called back to real life, we're called back to the daily grind, this is, this is where we, we live out the kingdom reality most of the time, and, and this was the same for Jesus and his disciples, and they come down and there's an argument that's taking place between the disciples and, and, and the religious leaders, and they're having this, this battle and this argument, and Jesus comes to them and he says, what are you arguing about? And then someone from the crowd kind of interrupts him and says this, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me and they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth and Jesus asked his father how long has he been how, how long has this been happening to him and and he said from childhood and it has often cast him into the fire into water to destroy him so here it is Jesus come lots of action going on arguing fighting it's real again it's life it's difficult it's hard it's grinding and then this dad comes with his son who's who is being attacked by a demon. And, and, um, and so we know, obviously, as followers of Christ, anytime there's brokenness uh, in our world, there's always at least three things at play. There's either A, our sinful nature that's at play. So the things we know we ought to do, we don't do, we struggle with that. Why do we do these things we shouldn't do? There's our sinful nature that's at work. There's the brokenness of our world as creation. The scripture says that our world is groaning for redemption. And so when we see earthquakes and we see tornadoes that create destruction, we know that sin has led to a brokenness in creation. And then there's an evil one that's at play, attacking and, and lying and accusing and so all three of these are at play and sometimes one more than other and, and and one of our prayers is God give us people who can discern what's at play so we know how do we respond do we do we respond to the brokenness of creation with with good medicine and, and using the abilities and skills that God has given us there uh, do we respond to the evil one by praying over that and speaking truth and doing doing work there do we do we respond to the brokenness of creation by creating ways to journey in the midst of the brokenness? and safety how do how do we respond well jesus jesus knows because he's god and so in this situation the evil one is at work and and so jesus uh, addresses this situation and the man says to him he says if you could could you please could you please save my son he goes and he goes on in verse 22 but if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us and jesus said to him if you can all things are possible for one who believes. And I love how the father responds. Verse 24, he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus steps in and he heals his child. What does the father do? He admits his unbelief. He admits his helpfulness. He admits that he doesn't have what, what he needs to have when it comes to faith. And that's exactly the sign of faith that Jesus needs to do to do his work in the moment. Isn't this beautiful? that the father comes to him and he says, I don't, have the, I don't have faith, could you help my unbelief, please? Could you help me? I think so often we think that in order to engage God's kingdom and to experience Christ's work, that somehow, man, we've got to be holy. But, but here's the point, Christ doesn't transform the holy, he transforms the helpless. And, and, and he works in people who acknowledge their brokenness. And he works in people who acknowledge their lack of faith. And he works in people who honestly and authentically come before the Father and they say, I don't have what it takes. Could you please help me? And Jesus says, that is faith. He says, that is the faith that changes and transforms things. Because that is the faith that invites Christ to enter in and surrenders to the Father. And when we surrender to the Father, he works. You know, I think there's two things that, that move us to often miss Christ's work in our lives. I think the first is, is, is when we think we need to have it all together. If only I had it all together, then maybe I could experience God's work. And so we work so hard to do all the right things, to have it all together, but we can never do enough because we keep making mistakes or we do it with the wrong motive. And then we read the scriptures that say that if there's pride, that's the worst of all the sins. And man, I just did it. Look how awesome I am. There's pride. I'm the worst. I'm the least. And so so we think we have to have it together to get to God, but it keeps moving us farther and farther apart. We don't have to have it together to get to God. We have to be repentant and we have to be humble. And when we simply come to him and say, God, I don't have it together. Could you, could you put me together? He goes, that's the faith I'm looking for. That's the faith I'm looking for. And he moves in those moments. Or the second thing is we think we do have it all together. So we actually believe we do have it all together. That's kind of like the disciples here. You know, it's interesting. The disciples said that they were trying to cast the demon out, but it didn't work. And so it says in verse 28, it says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples thought they could do it without praying. They thought they could do it on their strength. And Jesus comes to them and says, You don't have the strength. You never had the strength. That's why you pray. Because prayer is an act of acknowledging that we don't have what it takes and we need the Father to enter into the moments. My friends, this is good news for us. Timothy Keller in his book, Jesus the King says, through Christ we don't need perfect righteousness, just repentant helplessness to access the presence of God. And when we come before the Father with our helplessness and we say, Father, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. He enters in and he begins to work in us. I love what it says in Hebrews 12, 1. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. This idea of looking, surrendering, giving, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Did you hear that? He is the one who gives us faith. He is the one who perfects our faith. As we submit and surrender to him, he works and transforms who we are. And when we come with that type of faith, he moves and he changes us. Now, he doesn't always move in the way that we expect. And sometimes it's really, really hard. You know, it's interesting here, the father comes to him and he says, could you please help my unbelief? Could you help? And Jesus enters in and he speaks to the situation. And listen to what happens in verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together... He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Can you imagine? Jesus, can you help my son, please? Yes, I can. Boom. Jesus, you just killed my son. (laughs) You just killed my son. Man, God works in ways that we don't expect him to work, right? He he does things that we don't necessarily always want, but he always does what we need. And part of the journey of faith is acknowledging that he is the king and he is good even when we don't see it. And we don't know how long exactly this was that they didn't see it. And we don't know how long it's going to be for us when we won't see it. Sometimes it's days. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's a lifetime. Sometimes it's a lifetime. But the faith that changes and transforms us in the midst of the difficult times of life is the faith that comes to the Father and says, I don't even know if I have enough for the next day, Jesus, but you do. So could you help my unbelief? Could you help my unbelief? And he works in the midst of our moments. And he changes and he transforms us and he molds us and he carries us through. And, 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 and this is the way of his kingdom, my friends. When we choose to humble ourselves, and we fight to see the glory of the King. He renews our spirit and he transforms and he changes us so that we can endure in the difficult moments. And when the difficult moments do come and we're in the midst of the denying ourselves and taking them across and we, and we want to fail and it's hard and we want to pull the chute and we want to get out, he says, come to me and just acknowledge. Just acknowledge you don't have what it takes. And we come to him and he says, help my unbelief, Jesus. Please help my unbelief. And he goes, that's what I was waiting for. And he comes and he enters in. And even when he enters in, sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's long, but because we've met with him on the mountain, and because we've worshipped, because we know his identity as the king, and because we've been honest before him and we've surrendered to him, his spirit enables us to persevere even in the hard moments, even in the doubts, even in the questions. He is working and he carries us through, my friends. He carries us through. And we do the work of the kingdom. And we are a part of the kingdom. And, and the body denies itself, takes up its cross, and we follow Jesus. And that changes us. Changes us. Can you imagine what would happen if this is what would define the body of Christ here in Kelowna? If this really became who we were as the body. And I don't mean willow. I mean the body of Christ here in Kelowna. If we were the type of people... Who would willingly, in the midst of tears, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? Can you imagine what would happen? Well, number one, it would change others. Absolutely, it would change others. Because we would be so radically sacrificing to meet the needs of the people around us. I was so thankful for our young students who were sitting here, saw the video of the generations that had gone before them working to serve those across our world. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that beautiful? And my prayer as I sat was that, Lord, help them to know that they are a part of a wonderful legacy. A wonderful legacy of people who sacrifice for the sake of the king. How beautiful would that be? And, and if this would be our reality, then we would, we would radically be meeting the needs of the people around us in such powerful ways that it would be Transformative. You know, and we'd hear things, come serve, come do missions, come do these things. And instead of sitting and thinking, oh, that is so inconvenient, we would sit and think, oh, that's the way of the king. And so we, 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 we would just go. You know, we would go. If we as parents would hear our kids come to us and say crazy stuff, like, you know, mom and dad, I think, I think I'm going to, I think I may be called to missions overseas. I think maybe that's what I'm called to. Instead of going, whoa, 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 whoa. We just spent a lot of money on that five years of education. And I'm not sure Missions Overseas has a really good retirement plan. Instead, we would go, we will pray for you and we will support you because that's the way of the king. Hey, by the way, quick question for you. I was was with my mom just a little while ago and she said to me, she goes, man, I wish that your grandma and grandpa could see you I said oh why is that mom she goes well grandma prayed for a lot of years that God would send one of her kids into full time ministry and uh, it didn't happen but it's with you I think she would be really pleased and it made me push back and go okay how come I haven't been praying that maybe God would send one of my kids into full time ministry do we do that anymore I wonder if maybe it's because we're not so sold on the way of the king sometimes you know because it could be hard, it could be costly, it could be difficult. At least that's my struggle. I, I'd really like my sons to be really well off and looked after, you know. But maybe God's calling us to something different. Maybe. If we would go that way, it would begin to change our world wonderfully. Number two, it would change us, I think. I think it would really change us. Instead of assuming that the difficult moments in life are times when God's left us or, is dis- or disappointed in us, signs of abandonment instead maybe we would assume there are signs of the king at work in us molding us shaping us carrying us right in John 15 Jesus says this I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit did you notice that boy pruning is a violent thing isn't it so often we assume the pruning is god's disappointment but maybe It's his way of bringing about even more fruit in our lives. And so instead of fighting desperately to get out of the difficult circumstances, maybe instead we would simply rest and go, okay, Lord, do your work. And I will trust you. In the midst of the tears, I trust you. And when you're done, I trust that you'll move me on. I'd love to move on. Love to move on. But I will rest in your presence because you are good. And then finally, number three, I think it would change our witness. You know, when things go really well for us, And we say, oh, my God is so good. Look what he's blessed us with. I think the rest of the world looks at us and goes, hey, that's nice. You get your stuff through your God. I get my stuff by rolling up my sleeves and working. (laughs) Whatever, we get our stuff. That's so cool. But when we lose our stuff, when we lose our health, we lose our financial security, we lose relationships for the sake of the king, and in the midst of the tears, still we go, my God is good. In the midst of the tears, we go, my God is good. I think our culture looks at us and says, okay, what's up with you? You have just lost everything that I value, and the tears are real, but still you're okay. How is that possible? And we go, well, I didn't lose everything. The king is everything. I can lose it all here, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and I don't want to. I get that. But I haven't lost the king, and I haven't lost the kingdom. And there's something infinitely better coming so that even, I'm okay. And that's a powerful witness. This is the way that I believe Christ is calling us to.